Hammer time! Hello, everyone, and welcome to the HorrorCast, episode 76. This is the fourth installment of our Hammer Horror series, where we're diving into the Hammer catalog to remedy a horror blind spot I and most of my co-hosts had and maybe still have in most respects. Uh, speaking of which, I'm Revenant Vin, podcasting from Connecticut, and I'll be hosting tonight because Walshy couldn't be on and Mark Nato was sick. Uh, I'm far less of a natural conversationalist than Mark is, and I'm certainly not a natural radio presence, as is the first co-host I'm bringing in, Mr. Watson, from the other side of the country in Washington State. How are you doing tonight? Hello, hello, hello. I'm doing rather well. I'm podcasting from just outside of Olympia, Washington, East Coast to the West Coast, baby. We're doing it tonight, Hammer Horror style. And yes, Vin, it for me... This is still, even with the coverage and uh, you know that you're doing here on the Horrorcast and that we're doing together, this is very much a blind spot for me, and I'm happy to 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 remedy that. Yeah, uh, it's been a lot of fun going through these. Um, I'm I'm trying to also fill in some of the gaps in between the movies that we're watching, uh, although it's been slow going. Uh, but I am picking <laughs> up already uh, certain Hammer formulas <laughs> that oh, yeah. I'm seeing recurring. Uh, so maybe we can talk about that later. Um, so yeah, uh, podcasting much closer to me, um, although I'm the only one representing the Atlantic coast, I think, tonight. <laughs> um, but we've got uh, the Taminator. How are you doing? I am wonderful. I am the... Let's see, the Switzerland of this group. I'm right in the middle. I'm not East Coast. I'm not West Coast. You're a neutral territory. I am neutral territory. (laughs) (laughs) I love everyone. Um, I am also not the dynamic speaker that Mark is, but I will do my best. And yay, Spirit of 76, 76 already. And yeah, um, as far as Hammer goes, I am just really enjoying chipping away at these. I, I'm sure I've seen some of these in my youth on a Saturday afternoon, but I'm enjoying kind of seeing them all over again. It's been really enjoyable. Were these played on, you know, on late night television at all when you were young or I, like what context would you have seen these? I don't remember these things playing at all when I was younger and, you know, I, I was born 81. So I would have been watching mostly late eighties when I was watching a lot of television and seeing horror. I don't remember ever really seeing this stuff. Well, come here, little boy. Let me tell you all about it. <laughs> <laughs> Please, let's gather around. Yeah. Okay. Come all right. Vin let's, <laughs> Vin, let's us 80s uh, kids go sit down right. and tam- Taminator, tell us. <laughs> gather around my skirts. Mother um, Hubbard. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, in all clarity, I was born in 1968. I am 51 years old. And I, if these exact movies weren't playing on... Um, like Sundus Fanguli or Creature Feature, it's ones that looked exactly like them. Mm-hmm. However, I have a distinct feeling these are the exact kind of movies that I would watch on a Saturday afternoon. Mm. Oh, wow. Yeah, I wish I had that available. Um, I watched a lot of horror when I was young, but again, it, it's, it wasn't this stuff, uh, really. Um, well, what about you, two, Watson? Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, sorry, no, go ahead and finish your thought. And two, also, like, um, this is back when we, this is pre-VCR, pre-being old enough to go to movies, 
mm-hmm. to see like the 80s slashers and stuff. So you watch what, what could be on TV and whatever, you know, it's like a lot of the public domain stuff and a lot of the yeah. black and white stuff. And yeah, I, I don't remember a lot of this stuff being in the, the video rental stores either. Mm-mm. No, me yeah. either. Yeah. What about you? You Watson? Gosh, uh, you know what? I, I I'm, Folks, I, I am ashamed at my ignorance uh, as to the existence, uh, the very existence of Hammer Horror up until, I mean, we're we're talking, uh, let me just, don't, nobody shame me, but we're talking the 2010s, my friends, and may, maybe earlier than that, but not, not by much, and, and the, the deal was, same as you, Vin, these didn't play, you know, gosh, I was watching Horror constantly, and just never came across any of these movies at all and what what's a little remarkable about that too is you know the the whole my whole introduction to it was okay i'm digging myself some lord of the rings hey there's that saruman guy yeah. who can withstand <laughs> the might of sauron and saruman right i'm like hey i like this christopher lee guy he's cool oh wow he did a metal album later on he's count dooku in star wars what else this what else this guy do dracula Okay, hold on. Let me let me do some research here. Dracula. He must have done what, one Dracula film, right? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, and I'm just like, huh? Okay, Peter Cushing. Oh, that's right. He's in the other Star Wars. Wow. Okay, I have a lot to learn here. And it was just this, you know, this whole thing that just yeah. a world opened up, and and yet some more shame that I'm bringing on to myself because you gracious co-hosts are going easy on me, and thank you so much. But the whole thing was that I knew about Universal. And I knew some of these actors in from other things, but it was just this world opened up to me and I didn't take advantage of it until very recently. So mm-hmm. this is Hammer. It, it's really cool to see it. And as Vin talked about, uh, was it before we hit record or just after you talked about certain formulas that you've observed with these Hammer horror films? And, and so I'm, I'm beginning to see that yeah. with the small sample <laughs> that I have been able to yeah. catch myself. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So uh, let's move on here. Right. Um, As things usually go on this show, if a movie is old, we spoil it. And since both the films we'll be discussing tonight were released in the 1960s, uh, please be aware that we are going to be talking about these movies in a manner that presumes listeners are already familiar with them. Uh, So with that, we'll delve into our first film, and that is 1966's The Plague of the Zombies. Uh, the director is John Gilling. The screenplay was written by Peter Bryan. Um, it stars Andrew Morell as Sir James Forbes, Diane Clare as Sylvia Forbes. Um, and then I'm just going to go a couple names here. <laughs> Brooke Williams, Jacqueline Pierce, John Carson, and blah, blah, blah. But I will mention <laughs> Michael Ripper. Uh, I believe that he was, he, he was a pretty steady player in horror. But it's got Here a 6.6 go. 6 out of 10 on IMDb. Uh, it looks like a 4,244 reviews. Um, so uh, I guess we'll, we'll kind of start. Uh, we'll play the trailer and then we'll come back and uh, get some first reactions from this one. is bound for a terrifying destination. Dead. But no corpse can remain at peace in this village of the undead, this land of the zombies. 
In this place, no one is safe. No one can hide from witchcraft, superstition, and fear. Even Sir James Forbes, the clear-headed man of science, was forced to accept the horrifying facts. Young Martinus also says that he saw something on the moors, something that he insists was his brother. But we know that his brother is dead. We also know that he is not lying in his coffin. Someone in this village is practicing witchcraft. That corpse wandering on the moors is an undead zombie. A place dominated by men without morals, whose bloodlusts are excited by hunting a human quarry. When Sylvia Forbes hated the young squire, it was dangerous. But when she fell in love with him, it was lethal. Let's start with Tammy. Uh, what was your your first reaction to the plague of the zombies? <laughs> well, I'm going to just out of the box spoil it and say this is probably my favorite one that we have mm. watched so far. Hey. Controversial, I know. This is the first one that didn't really have any big quote unquote like hammer stars in it. Um, but I don't know. I just thought it was a really well rounded story. Um, I liked the zombies and their look you can see how they influenced the upcoming zombie movies that were right behind this one obviously um yeah i just even without the big names i quickly warmed up to the people that were in it and i thought they all did a great job and yeah i just really like this one yeah, I realize I've got the synopsis in this one. So just really quickly. <laughs> a medical <laughs> professor and his daughter link a Cornish epidemic to a village squire's voodoo. And yes, there are zombies. Um, so Watson, what about your uh, first impression? Yeah, well, you know what? I, I have a soft spot for those few pre-Romero zombie movies that I've managed to catch over the years. And you know what? That soft spot certainly most definitely extends to this movie here, you know, from the very first scene. And I didn't read a synopsis when I went into this, just went in blind. I saw it on the, the horror casts, you know, our roster and was like, all right, I'm just going in, hit and play. And, you know, from the very first scene with the ritualistic drumming and, you know, the, the Haitian rituals, you know, okay. I'm like, all right, we get, we're in for a voodoo zombie film, which, you know, was par for the course at this point in the zombie subgenre. And I dig it, you know, the setting, all that was super neat. The manner by which our antagonist goes about making his zombies and what he uses them for. I found that very fascinating for sure. You know, and you know, these being first impressions, you know, I quite simply, I was really entertained. How about you, Vin? Yeah, um, th this is a I think this is all first time watch for all of us, right? Yes. Um, me, yeah, and yeah. this is definitely a film that I had heard about, but I hadn't really seen much in the way of visuals at all. Um, so I didn't know what to expect you know, from the Maison scene or from, you know, w what the visuals were. And one of the things that I'm noticing with these two films is uh, the colors are far more subdued than what we've seen earlier. Um, even the next film that we're going to watch, it's a Terrence Fisher film, but the color palette seems to be not as vibrant as it once was. It did seem um, cold, didn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I kind of noticed it with this one, you know, this is still a very good looking film, but it, they're not playing with pastels and everything else like they were. Um, but anyway, this is, you know, it's directed again, John Gilling. I think he does a very good job. I like the set designs and everything. Um, <clears throat> this is where I started to see some of that formula. <laughs> you know, we, we kind of have, a. Uh, 
we have this occult expert, right, using holy forces to kind of save a girl from some kind of corrupting evil force and so on. Uh, Sounds we, we've familiar. seen that. Right. Yeah. We, we've seen that a couple of <laughs> times now, I think. Um, but it's, it's, it's a fun theme. It's, this is a good variation on the theme. I think, um, what really struck me about this film though, um, is it appears to have one foot in the future and one planted firmly in the past. Uh, like certain sequences, like the dream sequence where the dead are rising from the graves, it feels very modern and in no doubt influence horror going forward, including I'm guessing Romero. Uh, on the other hand, the film recalls the voodoo tropes of the zombies from the 1930s yeah. and 40s. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. it also, I couldn't help but also be reminded of the kind of racist origins of those depictions. You know, there's definitely some <laughs> hints of white zombie in this. Uh, and, you know, I, I think it kind of goes over people's head for some reason that white zombie refers to a white woman becoming a zombie. You know, it's zombies were not the scary thing. It was happening to white people. That's what was scary back in 1932 <laughs> or whatever. Um in here, it's updated and refined, and it's much more palatable, but it definitely is, it feels like a transition film. Um, and one that is surprisingly rarely discussed in retrospectives on zombies. Um, I've seen a lot of people, when they talk about zombies, they kind of talk about the voodoo ones, and then they'll mention, like, Last Man on Earth, you know, uh, with the vampire-like zombies. And then usually they skip to Romero. I'm surprised how often this one is is often looked over. Um, unjustly, I think. Um but anyway, let's get into some of the some of the details here. We'll start with the likes. If we go back to you, Tammy, what was something you liked, especially since you seem kind of smitten with this one? Well, I am. Okay, so uh, especially in juxtaposition to the next movie that we're going to talk about, I loved the role of um, the daughter, Sylvia, and her the relationship that she had with her dad. This yeah. is one of the <laughs> first times that we didn't see... Well, let me just, okay, let me start by saying, like, I am not very close to my dad. So to see a relationship like that, I'm really drawn to and find it kind of fascinating. But it was also, like, of just of the movies that we watch, which I know we're not going in, like, necessarily really any kind of chronological order or anything. But uh, we saw a woman with a little bit of um, power. She was allowed to be intellectual. She, mm-hmm. you know, kind of played off of her dad. And you could tell her dad even treated her with respect, wanted to hear personality. what she had to say. Right. Yeah, and <laughs> she didn't spend the whole thing screaming, which is a problem I had with the other movie that we're going to talk about. Um, so I just, yeah, I really, I liked how that you know, we were just allowed to see a woman as actually having a part to play in a, in a situation. Yeah, to piggyback off of that, too, I like her father. I really like oh, me too. Sir James Forbes. Yeah. I mean, yeah. he's because, again, we have that formula going on. But so he's kind of a surrogate Van Helsing. Yep. But I like he, he's much more morally gray. Right. Uh, and he's, he's not above making jokes to his daughter about how he should have drowned her at birth. No. You know, I like how she's kind of like, you know, she just ignores him and just keeps on going. You know, um, I, I couldn't see Peter Cushing's Van Helsing making that kind of joke. No, he's, right? very, uh, he's much more human. Than, right. Yeah. Uh, this is a guy I would like to have seen more movies with. Honestly, he was yep. he's a lot of fun. He's not he's not the straight and narrow Van Helsing. Um, nope. He's very personable. But, uh, you know, yeah, I like he, he he's yeah, he's not afraid to go digging up graves and everything else. No. Um, but he was he was my favorite part of the movie. Probably. Uh, I really like that character. I like the actor, uh, yep. Andre Morel, uh, who played him. I thought that was really, really well done. Uh, yeah. Watson, what about you? Is is out of curiosity, is he in any more Hammer Horror films? I'm not sure. Hmm, okay. uh, I couldn't tell you. I know that he he was fairly well known at the time. Yeah. I just haven't been exposed to him very much. 
No, for sure. Yeah, he, he and he and uh, uh, Diane Claire, the the daughter, were mm-hmm. were were great. Uh, so I I just want to echo everything there because they did feel it felt fleshed out, and it just like you know you both said they did allow her to have a personality and to have some well, ironically, some agency. And so, yep. <laughs> mm-hmm. but you know when Romero, you know, getting to my likes though that that the things that struck me, you know, when Romero did his thing only two years later with Night of the Living Dead. You know, as we know, it changed the very fabric of the zombie subgenre. But before we had the dead rising for no apparent reason, right? We often had a human monster to blame for these walking dead types, you know, these 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 sorts. Uh, you know, an outside influence who through hypnosis or some dark ritualistic practice, you know, would strip people of their agency to make them do this person's bidding. And I've always found that fascinating. And would mind seeing something of this sort make an appearance here in the 21st century? You know, this brand of necromancy, so to speak, maybe without the <laughs> the 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 racism and everything, which this film, like you said, is a great transition away from that into what we'd be seeing with Night of the Living Dead and where the zombie subgenre would go from there. I, I That was a fantastic observation. And to that point, Vin, uh, just like you said, I – don't hear anybody talk about this. So when I went in, it was with no preconceived notions of, oh, well, you know what everybody else has said about this. I've heard nobody say anything about this. So that was that was really cool. And I did want to ask you, though, uh, ask both of you, you know, what I noticed about these zombies is that sometimes they would, you know, amble about like Frankenstein's monster. But there were instances where they moved rather fluidly and were even outright expressive. You know, the blue lady who you know, whose head gets lopped off. You know, I mean, she was legit smiling at our boys before they, you know, kill her. You know, I don't know. effectively it, creepy It shot. was, I love that scene. <laughs> and so I just wanted to ask because, you know, what your thoughts were on this, both of you, you know, I don't know if what I'm talking about here, you know, what I just pointed out is indicative of inconsistent acting or direction, or maybe we're meant to see that there's some attachment to humanity, you know, left in there, which justifies this. Did do you guys have any, you know, guys and guy and gal have any thoughts about that? I, I think that it's a kind of a vestige of their vampire films, you know, because uh, I, I think that they again, there is a formula that we're finding. Yeah. Um, I, I think that, you know, they're yes, the zombie are kind of undead, but they're still kind of relying on some of their vampire tropes. Um, you know, I, the the squire, you know, he, he could be like a Dracula figure, right? This could be a bride coming out of the grave. Um, I, I think that it, I almost feel like they, they can't resist, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. uh, relying on some of the stuff that has worked in the past. You know, if she had fangs, you would have, you would have never known that she was supposed to be a zombie. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. you know, like I said, it's, I, I love that scene. I think it's a terrific scene. I actually love all that, that whole sequence of them exhuming, you know, finding and exhuming the grave. Right, the police finding them. Yeah, and, you know, <laughs> we're and they lift open yeah. the lid and it's empty. You know, um, and when when they do open up Alice's grave, they have that long transformation scene where she, mm-hmm. she's changing color. Um, mm-hmm. But again, very vampire like. Um, you know, nothing about that really said zombie to me. Uh, but I think that's part of it. I, I think that there is probably some inconsistency, maybe some confusion over exactly what a zombie is, which I think we saw in a lot of the older films. You know, uh, if you if you you know, you go to White Zombie, even like the you know, I Walked with a Zombie or the zombie movies of the 40s, there seems to be an inconsistency of exactly what a zombie is, right? Yeah. Is is it a walking corpse? Is it somebody who has 
who is just under control from somebody like, you know, like a mesmerist, like some Svanguli type or something. Mm-hmm. Um, it, I, I'm guessing that it's, it's partly that, <laughs> honestly. Yeah. I think, you know, that's why Romero is the one that kind of cements them as being these corpse ghouls, right? Uh, before that, I think that it's, it's nebulous enough where the, we might see some things that don't always add up. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. Tammy, does that sound uh, this is pretty good to you? That sounds very good to me. And I, I definitely agree. Like if you were to ask people now, what is a zombie? I think what would immediately come to people's head is the walking dead. Now, if that's, I don't know if that's just aesthetically, that's what a zombie is, but there's also some thought there that those are human beings who've made some kind of a transition, but yet we don't really know how much human is still left in there. Um, I also, in my notes, that scene of her trans. Uh, transference I totally that was one of my favorite things about the whole movie and there did seem to be some humanity left in her and if you guys none of the zombies have names but you know that one zombie who we keep trying to or we keep seeing that they have to keep like redirecting him like he just always kind of stands there and just looks sad that one with kind of like the fire tuck hair Mm -hmm. like I, I just my read of him was he was helpless to do anything about it, but he had some feeling about the situation. Like he didn't like what was going on, but you know, he was helpful to real or helpless to really interfere in any way. So yeah, I think wow. that's just, I think there was no, I don't think we knew what a zombie was in 1966 necessarily, unless we were to believe that behind the scenes, um, the squire was manipulating those little clay figures and we just didn't see it. I don't know. I mean, there was a little hint at that. I don't know. Uh, I'm going to bring in Brandon. Uh, Brandon Young has, is ready to join us. Uh, bring him into the conversation here. Hey, hey. Brandon, Brandon you with us? being late. I'm with you. All right. Awesome. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we are in the middle of our, uh, our discussion of the plague of the zombies. Okay. Um, do you want to give us your first impression of what you, uh, what you experienced in that film? Yeah, sure. Um, do it. So, yeah, these were both first-time watches for me. Um, Plague of Zombies was fun, man. Um, you know, the cast was great. You had some really good actors in there. I mean, you had Michael Ripper. You had John Carson. Um, it has the single greatest line that I've heard from a parent in a film. And it's <laughs> yeah, at the beginning. I don't know why I put up with you at all. I should have drowned you at birth. I was like, yeah. wow. Um, <laughs> You know, we're still in this interesting period with Hammer where it's not totally these sultry women. Um, you know, the the woman who plays the daughter, she kind of she's almost kind of cute. She has that kind of girl next door instead of that sultry norm for Hammer films. Um, it, it's weird because it seems like they started with that and then they backed away from it. Mm-hmm. You know, I think in the 50s we were seeing more of the sultriness, uh, the late 50s films. And now it, it's gotten, you know, women are much more covered up. <laughs> yep. Then even you know Dracula, I mean uh, Frankenstein's wife was back in 1957. Yeah, yeah, for <laughs> sure. Um, the fox hunters are basically like just frat boys in the 1860s, because um, yes. so, like they're just like the douchebags that run around like, yeah, hey, I ran into you, get out of my way, kind of like I don't mm-hmm. know. Um, I really loved how the tiny voodoo dolls had tiny coffins, um, yeah. <laughs> which I like that. Um, but, you know, in all seriousness, I, you know, the thing that I liked about this on this kind of zombie twist is that when they're talking about zombie, they're more relating it to the actual folklore of Haitian zombies, which is, you know, animated corpses through witchcraft. And so I, I liked how it wasn't just this unknown plague thing causing a zombie, but it's actually more of the, what the root of the word is. So I thought that was really cool. So, uh, yeah. yeah, man, it was fun. And, and it also, it, it goes back to, 
the zombie roots as a laborer. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's mm-hmm. it, it's probably worth it. one of the things that I, I kind of wish they didn't have in this film. I might as well just kind of go into this right now because we're, we're kind of we're almost touching on it. I wish that we actually didn't have Haitians. Um, I, I don't think that we needed the in-house Haitian drum band during it. Uh, you know, I, I, because also when they're not drumming, they're apparently like butlers and servants. Um, so I think if, if they had left them out, right. And this guy had just gone to Haiti and picked up voodoo, then it would have just been a corrupt aristocrat, you know, who is basically using the populace. But instead we now have this kind of foreign incursion, Onto the soil, right? It's it, it, and that that kind of relates to, I think, some of the negative, more racist uh, depictions that we've had of zombies. Um, unfortunately, you know, it's. It, I was watching the uh, the trailer for I Walked with a Zombie, and uh, what the trailer says is, um, and out of the West Indian island comes a tale of terror and voodoo, of witchcraft and zombies, and all the weird black magic that the white man seldom sees. Uh, oh, baby. And, <laughs> the zombies, zombies were absolutely connected with race, you know, all through the 1930s, through the 1940s. Right. I, I mentioned before you came on, Brandon, you know, of course, white zombie. It refers to a white woman becoming yeah. a zombie, you know, and even I walk with a zombie. This is about the horrors that it's happening to white people, pretty much. Um, but people always understood zombies in racial terms. Uh, it, and it goes back to Haitian history. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, Haiti was, you know, when it was Saint-Domingue, uh, I can't speak French. I don't know if I'm saying it right. But, <laughs> you know, a French colony uh, up until I think 1804 when, you know, they had a successful revolution. Uh, but before that, the slaves were, were worked to death in that place. They were just constantly importing slaves. Um, and they were producing most of the sugar and coffee for Europe at that time. And this is where the zombie word came from. It was came from an African language. We don't know exactly which one it was. And there's many candidates, and they mean different things. Um, but basically, it's what they. It almost became synonymous with slave. You know, these people would from sunrise to sunrise, sunrise to sunset. They worked. They were automatons. They had no will of their own. You know, so zombie became slave. Uh, so then they lead this successful revolution. They throw out the French. So you have this idea also of zombies who could rise against their masters. That's something that we kind of see in this as a fear. Um, but even after they had kicked out the French, the French basically demanded reparations or else, or else they would invade. So they basically made this new republic, which the United States denied. You know, they, they basically ignored because it was a slave state. Um, you know, it was, I mean, it was from former slaves, which... Obviously, somebody like Thomas Jefferson, who had like 3,000 of his own, was not going to be keen to recognize a country founded by slaves. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> um, you know, but uh, it, they basically made them pay these reparations. And the society basically got turned into one giant slave state. People couldn't leave their property. They had to work nonstop in order to pay the French. And by the 19th century, Haiti was still in shambles. It was horrible. You know, and then after the, at the outbreak of World War II, the U.S. invaded Haiti. We, we basically occupied it until the 1930s. We claimed that because Germans had a lot of uh, politi- business interests there. So we claimed that the, the Germans were going to invade us, basically, <laughs> through Haiti. Um, it was a BS reason. But we pretty much take them over. Mm-hmm. And it, in the 1920s, yeah. that's when New York Times journalist uh, and occultist William Seabrook, he goes there and he starts writing about zombies, the sensationalism. And it's his sensationalism and his depiction of blacks, you know, especially 
people, you know, he depicted them in voodoo as people who have no control of their inhibitions, you know, seen as especially dangerous to white culture. <laughs> um, they come out of his writings. Um, and he was also a cannibal, by the way. He, uh, um, <laughs> he, uh, he, he was somebody who is kind of interesting. He, he claimed that, uh, I think when he was in Africa, he claimed that he took part in a cannibal ritual. And then it came out later that they didn't let him take part in the ritual. So he stole human flesh from a hospital and cooked it and ate it. Oh. Um, <laughs> so, uh, but like, th- this is, this is what we mean by zombie all the way up until this point, right? So we still in this movie have Haitians. They're still drummers and servants. <laughs> you know? yeah. So yeah, I kind of wish they weren't there because it kind of calls back the worst aspects of voodoo zombies um, sure. that this it, film is emulating. It does. It's not as bad as those films. No, but it's, it's just interesting something that I kind of wish that, wasn't there. Yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned that too just because my last note on, that I wrote down was, you know, I never really thought of zombies as a means for capitalism. Um because, you know, it, it is weird. It's like he has this underground layer with the crazy drummer guys, but then you see all these zombies working. And yeah. I thought that was that was really interesting. And I didn't know all the history that you just rattled off. So I think that... Yeah, so that's I, long I mean, winded, that's, but... No, it's, it, <laughs> but it's clearly something that I picked up on as being an interesting kind of, you know, twist to it. But it seems like that's more in line with w- where it actually came from, so... Well, I did want to bring up this racial dynamic as well, because... You know, we do have this <laughs> white overlord who is, you know, who is, uh, you know, who's making these zombies and having them work in this mine. And I'm curious, you know, we, we've got the Haitian house band, you know, you know, doing their thing. And but but the zombies themselves, I maybe I spaced, but were they Haitian themselves? They were from the grave. You know, the, the, the local graves, you know, we got the body snatching going on. But were any of them, any of the zombies themselves from Haiti? No, I, think I thought they were the villagers that had <laughs> Okay, died. yeah, yeah. Okay, that's what I thought because, you know, I, I, I mean, if we're going to get in terms of color here, I mean, you know, the, the zombies were like blue and green. So, I mean, hey, we, we were getting away from the black and white. <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, Is this the, the first scene... film depiction of white people becoming zombies? No, a white zombie. Um, besides, okay, yeah, but yeah. besides, like... And, th- and this was still, what, two years before Romero, before yeah. Night of the Living Dead, so... And, I mean, Romero, you know, obviously, Night of the Living Dead takes on race in a certain way, but in a very different way, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? Indeed. Uh, with, with with Ben and everything. Um but yeah, like, like, that's why before you came on, Brendan, I kind of my impression of this was this was a film that kind of had one foot in the future, one foot in the past. Um, yeah, there were certain aspects of this film that were very forward looking and that were that felt so modern. Um, and it was just that kind of Haiti aspect that I was like, ah, oh, man, I kind of wish that, you know, he, he didn't like bring Haitians over like Willy Wonka with Oompa Loompas. You know, it was it, it, they were just kind of unnecessary. Um, but anyway, mm-hmm. uh, that, that was just my little. My little pet peeve there. I love um, the scene. Oh. <laughs> I was just say really quick. I love the scene where, um, you know, where they're in the graveyard and all the zombies start coming out. I thought yeah. that was such a cool scene. And it felt just like, you know, kind of what you felt a couple of years later with Romero, you know, where they're all coming out and the filming was intense and really up close and the sound mm-hmm. design was really good. And man, I just for the time I was like that. that I mean, that feels like that was probably a pretty scary scene. Uh, just for the time, I thought that was really cool. Yeah, it still looked cool. I too. Yeah. yeah, I could see that whole scene played to like, you know, metal music or something, and it would still work out <laughs> yeah. pretty well, I think, right? 
Sam, were you going to say something before? Yeah, I was just going to ask your guys' opinion. So in my notes, I wrote, um, this was the first black characters that I had seen in the Hammer movie. What do you guys think was up with um, the white posse? Like, what were they doing? What was their, just to make sure things went smoothly? You know, his group of the hunters that kind of seemed to, like, be at his beck and call? Yeah, I mean, I think I definitely picked up a theme of control. It, almost you know, like controlling people yeah i mean know? almost they were kind of like s- slaves in a way to him too that's what yeah I, he was kind of almost like a cult leader and mm-hmm. they were his followers right so the zombies are under control they're under control but even like we, we have a, a pretty disturbing scene of attempted rape right yeah. where these guys are pulling cars to see who gets to rape her first right yeah um, which is yeah. dark stuff well, but even the whole time when they took her away control you know, rape is also they're they're controlling her completely, and they feel like they can completely have their way with her. Um, uh, you know, maybe not realizing that she's who she is, because uh, that's the other weird thing about this these Hammer films is how much deference people pay to people with titles. <laughs> you mm. know, um, that that's that's another part of a conversation. Though, sorry, Brandon, what were you gonna say? No, I I was just the whole scene when they grab her in the woods, and you know, the horses are getting you know really intense, you know. F- uh, photography of the horses getting in her face and the fact that they just grabbed her. I was like, what the hell's going on? Like I was, yeah. I was pretty surprised by just how aggressive that whole, that little player, that part played out. Could be the, yeah, victims becoming the perpetrators, right? I mean, if they yeah. are like slaves, a to chain him, of I, abuse. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that I know we're not to it yet, but one of my dislikes was I didn't feel like we got enough of the squire's story. And I think that's one of the things that goes unexplained is just, what is that whole dynamic there? Mm. Yeah, they, they hint at things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's about it, though. Yeah, there's definitely could have been an interesting backstory with that. I agree with that, definitely. Um, what would you guys think of that one shot when we first see a zombie holding Alice in his arms and then tossing her down? I thought that was pretty cool. It was one yeah. of my favorite scenes I wrote in my notes. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was effective. Yep. <laughs> At the time, that was probably really scary. His eyes and everything. It was, he was so intense. I thought it was he creepy just, like, in 2020. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I wouldn't mind like you know just a, a poster of that or something. I don't know. Yeah. That, that was that, it looked really good. Yeah, I agree. I was surprised at how good it looked. Um, yeah, one of the things I was touching on before is, uh, you know, it, it's I, I think it sticks out maybe as an American. Um, <laughs> again that that deference like if somebody has the title sir or you know it's it reminds me of like when uh when van helsing just hands somebody a card who you know, it's yeah. got all the degrees on it and all of a sudden they're at his beck and call you know it's yeah. like it, it's i, I don't I, i'm sure it was never actually exactly like that uh but you see that a lot in hammer films um and so it it, it almost becomes a parody of itself how people immediately become subservient when they're in the presence of nobility in these, um, it's just, it's weird because especially as an American, right? It's, we certainly have a wealthy upper class, <laughs> um, but we also generally make it a point to demand equal treatment. And a lot of times these rich elites pretend like they're just like one of us, <laughs> like they're working or middle-class individuals. So as to kind of maintain an illusion of a classless America, even though we, we know what's up, uh, but it's there's not that pretense, you know. It's like it, you know, it's it's the betters that are all around. Um, so I mean, w- w- what I thought was interesting here is we have this kind of game of gentleman versus gentleman, 
right? One, one yeah. who's kind of abusing his influence and the other one is kind of using it selflessly, but they're <laughs> both in the upper echelons. And then you have these underclasses who are kind of within the crossfire of all of this. I think that makes sense with, I mean, British tradition. Uh, Cause when you look at power and wealth, when it, when it comes to Royals um, or just that kind of class system in Britain, I mean, that went on for, you know, a thousand years um, where that was very defined just kind of like you see it in India too with the caste system. Like there really is like, there's a whole different just class of people the way, you know, that they treat each other. And I think, you know, especially in Europe where people, if you weren't part of a certain class, you just didn't do a certain thing or you were stuck in a certain role and you had to act a certain way or you die. So, I mean, I think that's been in just kind of in their culture, kind of like in Japanese culture. Uh, I think they have some similar aspects as well. So I think, I mean, and you're right, I have seen that in several of these Hammer films, and I think that's pretty accurate, probably. I think, look at still the attention people pay to the royals now, and when uh, whatever prince married yeah. whatever that girl's name is. Interestingly, I mean, yeah, Americans pay more attention than the British do, <laughs> <laughs> which is kind of interesting. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, but most Americans couldn't tell you, like, you know, anything about Parliament or the Prime Minister, but they can usually tell you what royal is marrying who, uh, uh, which a lot of... You know, the British don't give a crap about that. Um, but yeah, it's interesting that the sensibilities, right? Because as an American, I picked up on the racial aspects, right? But it seems like uh, the British tend to, in a lot of their horror, be more focused on class. Um, we see that again and again in, in uh, horror films. I, I, you know, I'm sure you know, it, it's also present in American films, but uh, I think we see it more overtly. In British films, well, Vin, um, you you pointed out, and I like how you worded it earlier when you said "gentlemen versus gentlemen." And you know, hey, the the movie we'll be covering, you know, soon after, you know, the after this is that's yet again the narrative we've got here. And it seems mm-hmm. like with these Hammer productions, the narrative is sort of filtered through that lens of, hey, ain't the aristocracy badass, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Or sometimes just bad. <laughs> or just, well, I mean, yeah we, yeah, we we Americans would say such a thing, but you know, it's always the the people with the privilege of money and power, those in the mm-hmm. know and and whatnot. And and you know what, it 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 makes for a cool story if you you know ignore things and you know. Yeah, I, I definitely picked up that on uh, picked that up. Eh, I'm not speaking right, uh, but in our next film, I definitely mm-hmm. picked up on that. Uh, I will say I do like how this film handled it better. Um, you know, that's not to give too much away with what I'm going to think with that one, but uh, oh, interesting! It's, it's it actually I I accepted this one a little bit more than than the other one, uh, and we'll get into reasons for that. Uh, so, what are some other either likes or dislikes that you guys have that we haven't discussed yet? Anything you can throw out there? I'll Can go exhaust them. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, the, you know, I didn't have very many dislikes, nothing that stood out to me. Ex- you know, I I noticed the racial dynamic, the, you know, aristocracy thing. But one thing I, I did catch that just made me laugh, and I, I wouldn't even say it's a, a dislike, anything that would affect my score by any means, but was <laughs> during the zombie dream sequence, uh, you know, it, it's it's frenetic, it's crazy, it's, a, it's, a, it's well-filmed, it's a lot of fun. But then there's this zombie that's behind him approaching slowly <laughs> – slowly i'm like all right he's gonna get there it's like dude turn around <laughs> he's he's gonna get there and you know i mean he got yeah. there but i mean man I, I was just like come on dude just do it reach out oh he's farther back now 
No, he's in the same spot. They're all closer. What are you doing? I don't know. I was just I was just laughing and having fun with it. And then I was like, oh, dream sequence. And I was like, I was like, because you know, I I don't know if anybody knows, but I have a a, a you're a, a fan. Yes, uh, dream yeah. sequences are like my my uh, major. They are the pet peeve, you know, because a pet peeve is the pettiest of your peeves but you know it's the 60s i'm not holding it against it but yeah it was it was just something i noticed i was kind of chuckling as i was having my drink and you know and digging it though not a dislike just something that i that i wouldn't even say took me out of the movie just made me laugh a bit Mm -hmm. so that's all i've got any anybody else have anything on the dislike category there's so much else i disliked yeah Uh, go ahead just the one little thing where i just really wish i would have gotten to know just the squire a little bit better, gotten a little bit more of his story. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, one, one other thing that I was really impressed with was, uh, I mean, the sets were good, but especially the exterior of the mine, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that, that tin mine where you've got the, yeah, you've got, you know, leftovers of wheels and different construction. The thing that catches fire at the end. Um, yeah. I thought, I thought the whole end set piece was pretty good. I liked the, the, the little creepy looking dolls catching on fire that all of a sudden spontaneously combusting these, <laughs> you know, uh, these zombies. I mean, one of them obviously was a mask. Uh, oh, yeah. Towards the end. Um, it's it's pretty. But I mean, of course, you know, I don't, I don't expect that, an actor to turn his face one. off. Yeah. Um, but otherwise, the zombies look really good. Um, whatever. I'm, I'm willing to forgive that. Uh, but yeah, it's overall, I, I this was a, a pretty solid film. Um, do you think we're ready to go into our uh, our ratings at this point, then? Sure. Yeah? yeah. Okay. Uh, let's go with uh, Tammy, Brandon, then Watson. That's my drum roll. Okay, I said it before. I think this is my favorite one so far. Um, I'm giving it a 10. Mm. And probably a lot of it is just... This seems like one of the most fleshed out, other than that little bit about the squire that I said. I think this is just one of the most fleshed out stories. And like I said, a woman got to show her chops a little bit, which I really appreciate. And yeah, I'm giving it a 10. Heck yeah. All right, Brandon. Nice. I'm, you know, kind of where I was at with the last movies we watched. So I'm at a seven and a half on this one. I thought it was a lot of fun. Um, Yeah, I, I, you know... The, it has its good moments and it's bad, um, but overall, I thought it was a lot of fun. You know, these movies kind of take me back to when I was younger, and I just watched a lot of classic British films with my dad, so I just have a blast watching them. And so I'm willing to forgive or not look too deep into things, and so that's my enjoyment is always kind of right around that seven, seven and a half range. That's like your comfort rating? Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, Watson? You know, I- incidentally, the, I I sort of favored that same rating myself and for the same reason that it was a comfort rating that well said i didn't think of the think of it in those terms but yeah i I was at a 7.5 to 8 i was just kind of floating in that little area for comfort and you know i like you know final thought wise you know i enjoyed this it's got a real charm to it and for whatever reason i found myself thinking that this would be fun to see on the big screen at like a horror festival or something. And I don't know why that struck me as it did, but I, for some reason felt like, because this has been so just non, you know, just not under discussed. Right. I, I, I think it'd be neat to see this on a marquee in a, at a horror fest and sit in a room full of people and experience that cool mm. flick. I, I dig it. 7.5 to uh, eight out of 10. I don't know if you do the 7.75s here. That's, that's something Whatever that, you want to do. 
Well, <laughs> well, there we go then. <laughs> there, there it is. Um, so yeah, I'm in between you guys and Tammy. I'm at an 8.5. Um, nice. I, I did really enjoy this one. Uh, I think it's, it is one of the better ones that we've seen. Not the best for me. Um, but it, it's up there. I mean, it's. I really like our central protagonist. I thought that Sir James Forbes, you know, uh, from portrayed by Andre Morel, uh, he was great. Uh, I could have watched many more movies with him. Um, you know, I I love Cushing, of course. You know, uh, you, you can't you can't touch Cushing, basically, right? Uh, but Van Helsing is stuffy, right? <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's not the kind of guy that I respect him as a hero, but I don't want to hang with the dude. Right. Uh, but <laughs> Sir James Forbes, I can see like having some beers with the guy, you know, yeah, and indeed. He, he wouldn't be above telling a dirty joke. You know, I, I'd be okay with that. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I can hang with Sir James Forbes. That's fine. So yeah, I'm at an 8.5. Um, all right. So that does uh, the plague of the zombies. So now we're going to move on two years later. Uh, the devil rides out from 1968. This is directed by Terrence Fisher, um, a very familiar name, uh, based on a novel by Dennis Wheatley, who I will say I, I, I didn't know much about. Uh, what's interesting about Dennis Wheatley is he was incredibly pr- prolific, and he was very, very popular, especially in the 1930s, 40s. Um, in the 60s, he was still a name that could sell, but his popularity was kind of waning. Um, but it's kind of interesting because he's one of those figures that almost nobody today, you know, almost nobody reads him. People, most people have no idea who he is. Um, so it's kind of quickly how these names disappear. Uh, and we can kind of discuss him a little bit because he's kind of seems like an interesting character. Um, but it's adapted. The novel's adapted for the screenplay by Richard Matheson, right? Yes. So we've got an American screenplay writer, uh, the kind of immortal Richard Matheson, uh, you know, definitely one of my favorite figures in 20th century horror. Um, and again, I haven't read the novel, so I don't know how it goes from the impression that I got from things that I've read and heard. He seems to have improved on certain aspects, um, but I can't judge that. Anyway, uh, we've got Christopher Lee uh, in the starring role playing a, a hero for a change uh, as the <laughs> Duke de Richelieu. We've got Charles Gray as Mokata. Um, I believe some people would have known him from James Bond, right? Who's James Bond? Yes. Bond? Yes. Um, I knew him, of course, as a narrator of Rocky Horror Picture Show. Um, yeah. And then we've got uh, Nike Arigi. Don't know if I'm saying that right. As Tanith Carlisle. Uh, Leon Green as Rex Van Rin. Although I'm pretty sure he was dubbed. Uh, oh. Patrick Mower as Simon uh, Gwen something Davies as the Countess, and so on. Uh, we've got enough. Um, and we got Peggy Eaton uh, was played by Rosalind Landor. She was a little girl, and I recognized her from Star Trek The Next Generation, uh, that awful episode where we have like these Irish colonists, and she's basically the one that sleeps with Riker. Um, Yo! So I, <laughs> I, I, I picked that face out. I'm like, oh, uh, I know where she ends up. Um, so yeah. <laughs> on IMDb, we've got this movie has a 7.0 out of 10 out of 7,369 ratings. That's not bad at all. The synopsis when the Duke de Richelieu and Rex Van Rin arrive at a fashionable party thrown by de Richelieu's protege, Simon, they soon realize that the party is, in fact, a gathering of a satanic cult led by the high priest Mokata. It's a heck of a name. And plans to initiate the beautiful Tanith, also an interesting name, that night. 
It's up to Duresh Shalu and Van Rin to defeat the devil-worshipping Makata and save the innocent young Tanith and the others from a terrible fate. We're going to roll the trailer, and then we'll get back with our first impressions. Rex, do you believe in evil? That's an idea. Do you believe in the power of darkness? That's a superstition. Now, there you are wrong. The power of darkness is more than just a superstition. It is a living force which can be tapped at any given moment of the night. Why? On one night of one year, should these people live in mortal fear? he must fight the devil's power to the death. My God. Don't look at the eyes, Rex! Eyes. Eyes. Once filled with love, are consumed with fear. For Tanith is now promised to the devil. Listen carefully to what I say. This is Makata, the devil's chief disciple. Your will is leaving you, slipping away. The Devil's Bride, from bestseller author Dennis Wheatley's The Devil Rides Out, fills the screen with a special kind of visual terror. On your feet quickly! Back to back! Join hands! You will hear his evil. You will feel his evil. You will see his evil. If we once catch sight of his face. Okay. Uh, last time I think we started with Tammy, right? So yep. Brandon kind of came in. Maybe we'll do an opposite order. Uh, do Brandon, Watson, then Tammy. So Brandon, what was your first impression? Uh, yeah. So Christopher Lee is cool in this movie. I just like, right when you see him, it's fun. You kind of said this in the introduction, like it's different to see him in this kind of role. Um, but I really enjoyed him in this role. Like he was a cool dude. Like it made me want to like hang out with this dude. And it also made me want to know more about this dude because he just seemed like an interesting character. And I didn't know that this is based on books and it made me want to actually read more of those books. Um, just because, again, I think Chris, he's just cool in it. Um, but I think that also kind of worked against the movie at the same time because I felt like I didn't know enough about this character because clearly there's a backstory with the guy. He has some kind of, you know, being this kind of investigator, this kind of cool detective guy um, who knows, you know, different chants from different cultures and stuff. But th- So that kind of worked against my feeling of the movie. Um just because, again, like I felt like I was walking to the middle of a series, and I don't do that. Like I'm, I'm a completionist. Like I have to go from A to Z, and so I felt like I was coming in like an N. Like I didn't know exactly what was going on. Um, 
there seemed to be like a weird thing with people with really wonky eyes in this movie. Um, I don't know if you know. <laughs> so the 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 madam lady and the, the fact that she could drive a car, and I think she almost ran over that dude just because she couldn't see straight. And maybe I apologize if anyone, but uh, that really caught me off. And then the dude who just appears, the 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 black guy who just appears out of nowhere. Um, and he has some wonky eyes too. So I was like, man, there's a lot of people with weird eyes in this movie. Um, mm-hmm. the effects are completely <laughs> ridiculous in this movie. Uh, <laughs> dude, the king, like the king and the green screen when they're driving and then <laughs> when he's driving and the fog came and it's clearly like his wind, the windshield gets foggy and it, I don't know, man. Uh, and then I thought it was an interesting blend because, you know, when they were doing, you know, some of the ritual stuff, you saw a mixture of both like kind of Christian and Egyptian mythology kind of mixed into the satanic ritual, mm-hmm. you know, mentioning Osiris and then actual Latin chants and everything else. Like, and, certain, yeah. yeah. So I thought that was just interesting. Um, uh, but overall, I really like this one. I thought um, the girl who played Tanith, I mean, I thought she was, she was, she's beautiful, obviously. Um, but again, like I thought everyone was cool in this movie and there's a lot of things working against it. I mean, again, the effects are ridiculous, but I had, I, I think I had more fun with this one than our first movie. Interesting. All right, uh, I will warn you about the books. From what I understand, uh, if you want to read The Devil Rides Out, it's very long and often very racist. Um, so I don't have fun if you <laughs> if you want to pursue <laughs> that. <laughs> uh, all right, Watson. Oh man. I had a blast with this movie, and it was for all the things you just said, Brandon. I mean, when I was watching this, it was kind of like just watching a fun comic book action movie with a bunch of occult uh, goodness thrown in for the mix, you know, and first time watch for me. And as the narrative played itself out, you know, I'm peeping this good versus evil tale play out against the backdrop of this specific brand of well-educated high society folk. Right. And immediately, and all my well-read ball is in the house. Back me up here. I got some serious William Hope Hodgson vibes, particularly his Karnacki series, which, you know, is, is all about this badass occult detective in the early 1900s. Who's going around solving supernatural mysteries in a remarkably similar setting to what we all saw here in The Devil Rides Out. And I would be shocked if Dennis Wheatley's 1934 novel, you know, like Vin said, on which this movie's based, didn't fashion the Duke de Richelieu after Hodgson's Karnacki in some way, shape, or form. Like, it's all there, homies. You've got this rich, well-dressed, educated gangster who studied the esoteric doctrines, as he said. I loved that. I, I was just digging all over it, man. And, and, and with that, I... Man, I found myself wholly engaged with the film, you know, in in the scheme of first impressions here. I can only say that I came away thinking this movie was better written than it had any right to be. It had an impressive scope. You know, the premise alone was not the whole of the film. And that's one thing that I sometimes get a, a little annoyed with with certain, you know, with certain films where the premise just is the movie. You know, it never escalates. Well, things do escalate here. Plot lines go where they will. And they you know they spiral into some pretty crazy places and and I thoroughly enjoyed the the ride with with the devil as he rode out. <laughs> so I, I haven't read the ones that you were just talking about, but it did remind me a little bit of um I did read some of Solomon uh, Solomon Kane from Robert E. Howard. Yeah. Um, which is also you know kind of a paranormal investigator sort of thing. It did kind of remind me of that a little bit. So it does have that pulp quality. Um, Indeed, and you that's know, what you I like to see about like in a, in a Weird pulp. Tales magazine or something like yeah. that. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> All right, Tammy. Well, 
starting with Christopher Lee, you can call People Magazine because I have found the sexiest man alive. Yeah, he's a baby. <laughs> not alive anymore. <laughs> so oh. cool in this one. Oh, yeah, I was. So really... he, he was he was starting to do his work on you in the in last episode. He gives right? me the feels, Please. man. <laughs> Go Um Also, I was uh, totally like I am a huge, huge James Bond fan. So to see Charles Gray, I was already like, yes, this is awesome. And this is actually like anything devil worship, Satanist cults i am there but this one i kind of felt like i was coming in on chapter two of some story and i i missed chapter one not enough to like totally take me out but i just felt like we weren't totally given enough information for me to really super care about these characters i did enjoy watching it um i thought the effects like the spider and stuff were wonderful in a hilarious kind of <laughs> 1960s kind of way and yeah i mean it was it was good <laughs> i mean you know i i just felt like i i'm not sure exactly what was missing i just it seems like one that i would have enjoyed a little bit more than i did so and yeah. i was kind of put off by how hysterical not haha hysterical i'm talking hysteria that all the women in here were <laughs> so yeah um yeah I, I'm, I'm kind of kind of where you're coming from um Again, this is another one that I didn't know a lot about going in. Uh, I did know that it was kind of highly regarded uh, as part of the kind of Hammer Library. Um, and when I saw it was directed by Terrence Fisher and screenplay with Richard Matheson, I was admittedly excited. Uh, mm-hmm. And overall, it, it's a fast-paced film. Um, it's got some good set pieces, strong central performances. But I, I didn't connect with it as much as I had hoped I would. Um, yeah, yeah, it's. I, I feel like Hammer up to this point, it, it's definitely had a certain conservatism about it. And I mean like mid-century British conservatism, not like American-style <laughs> conservatism, right? Um, and this one feels like the most conservative yet. <laughs> like, it deals, mm-hmm. we kind of mentioned this in the last review, it deals exclusively with a privileged, leisured class, except for one old butler that we see a couple times. Um, and its approach to horror, and also its depiction of Satanism, also kind of seems really old-fashioned. Even in mm-hmm. 1968, I mean, this is the year that we got Night of the Living Dead, that we got Targets, that we got Rosemary's Baby. Yeah, and Rosemary's Baby, like, it also depicted satanic witchcraft, but it was grounded in a realism, and the powers of good were not obvious, powerful, or really triumphant. <laughs> uh, it was definitely, I wouldn't call it nihilist, but it, it, this is the same year that, you know, on January 1st, the Rolling Stones released Sympathy for the Devil. Um, so I think there was a certain segment of the population that was looking at Satanism and not turning away in disgust, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's, those films are examples of modern horror, you know, where you have a little more moral gray area, um, than what Hammer was offering. Um, so while most of the films of Hammer, I think have a charming moral clarity, this one kind of starts to feel a little bit more worn for me. I don't know. Um, these devil worshipers seem mostly... They seem to mostly just have awkward orgies <laughs> that are too proper, so as not to defend censors. So they just kind of wear robes and like throw their arms up a lot. Uh, the worst you know. orgy ever yeah. in a movie. Um, yeah, that was not a sexy orgy at all. I think Baphomet was probably very disappointed. Um, you know, and there, just, there didn't seem to be much weight to the overall threat. I mean, it's just like, yeah, the rich people they want to like worship Satan and have orgies. I'm like, I don't care. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. I, I, I didn't care about Simon, you know. So, uh, 
anyway, um, I, I kind of wish that I connected with this one a little bit more because I know how regarded it is. Um, but yeah, there were certain things that kind of kept me, yeah, lukewarm. I would say. Um, so let's uh, let's come up with some likes. Uh, does anybody have one that kind of at the top of their list that we should get out? Yeah, I do. Yeah, go ahead. Man, well, first, I, I got to say, it, it, it's crazy. I am on the opposite side uh, of you, Vin, and you, Tammy, on this because, man, just the, the pulpiness. Is, and, and believe me, <laughs> I did. I did feel, you know, okay, 1968. I made a quick list, uh, you know, a few days back of, you know, okay, here are the movies going on in 68. I kind of made a top 10. I don't even know if I finished it. I can't remember what I did. But I, I and I, I noticed that this stood out in stark contrast to some of the, the ways that horror was changing. And this, you know, has its foot solidly in a pulpy past. Yeah. And for that reason, I was embracing it in a, <laughs> in that way that I, I'm like, I'm loving it. I, shouldn't but i do but okay my, my like that i think we we could address and maybe have a little bit of discussion on here is you know when i'm watching a horror film i, I often find myself paying close attention to the good versus evil dynamic as you know at work in the story and by that i specifically mean that uh, you know, I like to see how these two diametrically opposing forces stack up to one another. You know, who has – and this is an, in very action movie sense right here. I'm not going to get too deep on all y'all. But, you know, who has more power? Who does the narrative favor? And in this case, you know, we have remarkably similar protagonists and antagonists in that everyone here, like Vin said, you know, all these characters, they're high-born folk, right? And, you know, I'm not seeing any humble abodes here. I'm seeing well-dressed dudes and ladies with mansions on both sides, the war – so to speak, is fought by, like I said earlier, those in the know, those with the privilege of money and knowledge. And you know what? I I, I was I was really digging it. And so what I noticed was, you know, we we've got these absolutely imposing protagonists, you know, standing at six four and five each. You know, it's a man, you know, it, it is a bit of that, you know, man's movie type thing. They're dashing in their three-piece suits, getting in fights and car chases. That 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 fog hits the windshield, he punches through it and keeps going, you know, looking good. And but here's what I wanted to talk about. You know, I, I like the way, and Brandon touched on this earlier, the way they were blending modern logic with an arcane mysticism that utilizes Christianity and the occult to battle evil. And I really liked that take on it. You know, I'm, I'm all about it. And here's the thing. It's a different sort of fight against the supernatural than you would see coming up in, say, The Exorcist, which, which keeps its traditions strictly Catholic in nature, which I think is awesome. I love that movie to death. 10 out of 10, yo. But I'm down with this particular mythology that this film is feeding us. You know, a, it's a fight of fire against fire, you know, holy fire and hellfire. And, you know, for a movie from 68, I, I, I did find it, uh, you know, maybe not for a movie from 68, but I did find it refreshing maybe in my 2020 mind, I guess I could say. And so I, I would say, you know, if you're a fan of Supernatural and you're looking for the Sam and Dean of the early 1900s, which is essentially what William Hope Hodgson was up to in 1913, you know, I, I think there's something to, to like here in that pulpy sense. But going back to, you know, opening the discussion up, did anybody notice that kind of holy fire versus hellfire dynamic there, the way it was you know, sort of the, the knowledge that of good versus the knowledge of evil. And yeah, it's stark, it's black and white, but did anybody have fun with it? Or was it I mean, just I, me? I wouldn't even say holy fire, I'd say holy water. Holy, okay. Like, they just, <laughs> okay, yeah. They just like throw holy water at the devil and he disappears. Uh, or <laughs> the like, you know, they, they, the devil summons a black man. 
and they throw a cross at him and he disappears. I'm like, oh, well, I, <laughs> this is kind of I mean, interesting I ways to get rid of these things. All right, this is easy. <laughs> Makata should start <laughs> using a gun. He'd Rosemary. be far more effective. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, uh, you know, Watson, obviously I kind of like, I picked up on that and I really enjoyed that. I was surprised, you know, and this kind of goes to what you were talking about, Vin, just kind of the time frame and the way people were looking at Satanism um, back then. It was just, it was really interesting kind of how heavy handed they were about crediting kind of God at the end. Did you guys pick up on that last line? I did. Oh, yeah. Where they're, and I, w- I was really surprised about that. <clears throat> he drops you know, the J word. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, you, you guys know, and I think most people know that know me, like, you know, that's a big part of, you know, I'm, I'm like the token Catholic horror podcaster. Uh, so I'm, I'm usually pretty keenly aware to that stuff. <laughs> yeah. I don't know any others. So, uh, but I, so I just think it is interesting again, kind of combined with the time frame and the films that had come out kind of right before and right after that. So it was, it was interesting to see that and kind of what their intention was because one trend I've kind of noticed that was, we've looked at these hammer films is that they do, they try and be fairly authentic to kind of the Christian, like it doesn't view Christianity in a bad way. Uh, And I've noticed that in a couple of times, like the, I don't know, one of the last movies we watched, maybe it was the wolf movie, the werewolf movie um, where he was using actual Latin from the actual rite of baptism. And so the fact that it seems like they do put a respect towards it. And then I just, I find that interesting. Um, I I don't have any great points to go off of that. Just something of interest to me. Yeah, but I mean, Hammer definitely has, uh, from what we've seen, you know, it's been, uh, it's it's religious horror. You know, it's been very steeped in Catholicism. Um, You know, something you're just making me think of too. uh, You know, what would have been on people's minds at this time? You know, because I'm even thinking like Anton Lavey. Like this is when he was just getting publicity for the Church of Satan. Yeah. You know, I think the Satanic Bible actually came out the year later, 1969. But in this year, 1968, he released like an album of the Black Mass mm-hmm. and everything. And is he had uh, he had baptized his daughter in the left hand path, which is referenced in the film. Um, and I thought it was kind of interesting that they give Christopher Lee a goatee that actually looks a lot like LeVay's when I he started. That too. When he started wearing in the that. 60s. Um, I, I thought, thought he looked more like weird. the devil, like. Than anything in there. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. yeah. It was, I, I wasn't. I didn't know. I don't know if that's how he was described in the book or something, maybe. But I thought it was an interesting choice, uh, given the time period. Um, but yeah, yeah. I, I don't know Go if ahead. you heard any of um, our episode that we did on The Exorcist, because I think you saw a lot of those kind of similar themes. You know, with The Exorcist, it, when, especially when it comes to the church, right? So like. You know, the Second Vatican Council started in what, like 1963 or 1964. And then in 1969 is when they implemented the new mass. Um, mm-hmm. So this is a whole time where, you know, I, I don't know if everyone realizes like how big of an influence leading up to this point, especially like how big of an influence the church is on Western civilization and the world, right? Like, you know, today there's over a billion Catholics. So one out of every seven people you meet is Catholic. Uh, which is staggering. Um, and so I think this kind of leads into, you know, where you talked about like these kind of changes, sympathy for the devil, like the role of Satanism in these movies. It is in a time where there is a lot of changes when it comes to the way people look at faith, you know, with uh, the kind of hippie movement and 
what they were trying to do and uh, this kind of almost new paganism, this new kind of Wiccan. Looking that is for kind various of coming to rise. different avenues of spirituality. Yeah. Right? yeah. So I think it, it is kind of in line with those things. And again, like, you know, we mentioned the exorcist a couple of times. I mean, that's really, that, that is so strong in Father Karras. It's this man who's trying to figure out what his faith means. And again, the whole church and meaning the big C church in the world is also trying to figure out its role at the exact same time. So it just, it seems like that is a pretty heavy theme around this time because it was a really big deal. Yeah. I mean, it's, I'm trying to also place it within like a British context, right? Um, because of course, you know, we have the church of England. Uh, so Catholicism wouldn't have had the strongest hold like it would have had in like France and Spain and everything else. Right. Yeah. And I'm trying to think like, Anglican and church. Yeah, of right. England, yeah. Um, so they're, sometimes they're they're self consciously not Catholic, <laughs> you know. Uh, it reminds me of like the the sketch, um, you know, if you've ever seen a uh, Monty Python's The Meaning of Life, um, where you've got the Catholic family that has like a hundred kids and they have to sell them all to a uh, to science, <laughs> and you got the Protestant family who's you know the the wife and husband are sitting there and he's just like all these Catholics having all these kids, you know, they don't use protection and I can go to the store and get a condom. And he's like, you know, every time they have sex, they have to have a child. And she's like, well, we've only had sex twice and we have two kids. He's like, that's not the point, you know. Um, but it's yeah. <laughs> it's a very British humor yeah. that's, of course, commenting on, you know, this kind of dynamic between Catholicism and Anglicanism. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, uh, it's a, you're just making me think of that. Um, but we also have in British history, Aleister Crowley, right, who I'm pretty yeah. sure Makata is basically a, you know, supposed to be um, based on. I'm guessing. Um, so yeah, Actually, it's it, it, he he combined was, a lot of different um, mysticism and stuff, right? Yeah, go ahead, Tammy. Oh, I was just gonna say when I was kind of researching for this, Dennis Wheatley actually met with Alistair Crowley several times. Uh, hey, I guess to, like a week with him or something like that, or yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. And um, so that's kind of like when I was saying like this, I kind of had a hard over hard time connecting with this. It seems like I wonder if this is like the other movie. You know, was that the first? Uh, depiction of zombies is this one one of the first depictions of like devil worshippers and stuff because it seems like they threw a lot of stuff at the wall just kind of see what would stick i mean when you've got um you know it could have been obviously in the book there was some major alistair crowley influence it probably could have gone a lot more to developing these characters and it just i don't know it seemed a little all over the place to me but if we didn't really have a yeah, it did. I, maybe we just didn't have like a real solid idea of what "quote unquote" devil worshippers are because they threw a lot of stuff at us of what yeah. you know well, even, devil even worshippers today people, would do. Even today, people tend to mix up Satanism with devil worshiping when they're not the same thing. Generally, you know, like even Satanists, even the Anton LaVey's Church of Satan, they're they're generally atheists. They don't believe in the devil. Um, and even the Satanic Temple in Salem, uh, they're they don't believe in the devil. They're it's a it's a philosophical thing. Yeah, um, so. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, devil worshippers actually believe in the devil. Satanists generally don't. Well, Vin, um, well, we actually had on my uh, my horror my my podcast page, the the Watsi Party Horror Show slash Horror Corridor Facebook page. We had a theistic Satanist and a satanic temple person talking their beliefs out. And mm-hmm. one of them, you know, was just an atheist, and it's it's for the political, you know, the the political and philosophical idea of you know, kind of doing away with the, 
you know, the monotheistic view that, you know, you know, uh, uh, the, the way that, you know, the Christian Judeo Christian God has a hold on, you know, the, the state, you know, and, and the way, and then the theistic, morality and everything else. Yeah. Right? yeah. And, you know, so that's why he does it. You know, he doesn't believe in any kind of supernatural or anything, but the theistic Satanist guy from Europe, he was like, he, they were at odds. They, they had a yeah. friendly conversation, but they were at odds with each other. And so, yeah, there, there is a distinction to be made between, you know, devil worshipers who, you know, believe in a in an evil devil and revel in the idea of evil versus the, you know, people doing it for political and philosophical reasons to, you know, further, you know, that agenda, which is is, is, is what it is. Um, but, you know, this antagonist, though, you know, I did I thought he was charismatic and he was interesting in his own right. You know, someone oh, who yeah. deals in the mysticism of his satanic background, but also just as much in that same brand of logic that, you know, his enemy has, you know, our good guys, you know, both parties, you know, seem to mix their religion, be it godly or satanic or rather devil worship with some measure of like cryptic strategy. And, you know, all this kept my eyes focused on the good and evil narrative while keeping me intrigued with, you know, how the good rituals would fight the bad rituals, whose spells are stronger. And I rather enjoyed that our goodies and baddies were more or less on equal footing for the most part. You know, so often our protagonists are the underdogs, which I guess is an exercise in tension. But when they're equally matched, I, I felt the plot had to get creative. There had to be a lot of back and forth. I strike, you strike. And, you know, I think we saw a lot of that. And so for me, I didn't need this any any you know more richly drawn out characterization i didn't feel like i was coming in the middle of any series i just thought okay this guy has knowledge of of a bunch of a bunch of stuff this guy has knowledge of a bunch of stuff and they're gonna duke it out and in that way i think <laughs> you know i i can you know fluff it up and talk about the good and evil dynamic but i think i really just saw this movie in perhaps the most simplistic turns of anybody here and which is why you know and no apologies there which is why i just had such fun with it yeah it, there's there's a clear delineation between you know the the good and the bad in this yeah um the, we don't have anybody i mean we have a couple of people who are kind of tempted one way or another but for the most part we know exactly what side we're supposed to be on <laughs> right yeah. for this um yeah, it, it, it did make me wonder, especially, um, what, because I'm just thinking when Dennis Wheatley was writing this, right, it would have been in the wake of, you know, after World War One, mm. and I'm guessing that Satan, in certain ways, represented that war, because he was running at the same, right around the same time that H.P. Lovecraft was, right, and some people have kind of seen Cthulhu as basically representing the Great War, um, and both yeah. these guys also had trouble as far as some of their racist views um you know they're <laughs> kind of cut from the same cloth in certain ways it seems uh but yeah I, I wasn't quite sure in this movie though as they're interpreting it what exactly the devil is like what does he represent other than we just know he's supposed to be bad did you feel like it was it was just motivated by our our protagonist motivation was just hey we don't want our homie in with these people and hey here's this girl we don't want her to get in with these baddies either yeah basically so it seems it like felt small I, I, I didn't, in that I didn't way, quite right? see what the major danger was you know like yeah okay satan bad i get it but what happens <laughs> like, well, like, what, what happens if they join this thing i don't quite i, I didn't yeah, get what the, were they doing the there urgency in the first of place? this mm-hmm. Well, they were about to get their dark baptism, right? Their satanic baptism. And I think it's just a, you know, a simple, hey, don't lose your soul to this very real threat to, you know, it, it's an intimate threat. I don't think the stakes are the world, you know? 
Like yeah, Satan's I, gonna I come wish to they Earth. Were in this a little bit, but <laughs> oh, I mean, maybe. And, and I mean, the, but the only it, thing that we saw is like, okay, yeah, they sacrifice a goat, but whatever, people kill and eat goats all the time. Uh, but also, like, they, they have weird orgies. I, I didn't see anything else that they were doing, but um, I just kind of wish that there was there was more of an urgency to what was going on that I felt like hell, I, I should have cared more about <laughs> these people. You know, okay, so like in Rosemary's Baby, we know why they want her. She's going to have the Antichrist, right? Yeah, what do they zero, want with these right? two? Yeah. <laughs> it's the year one. Yeah, yeah, that's right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, year one, that's what, what it was. What did they want with these two? That's what I meant by like coming in on chapter two. We just start with that, like, we are now going to save these two, but we're not even invested in them yet. We don't even know why they're doing why, what they're doing. Oh, man, yeah. it's the same reason why somebody knocks on your door trying to, you know, give you the Bible, man. They're just getting more for their ranks. I, I, I don't think it's – it's uh, the stakes aren't that big here unless you're speaking in terms of the soul. Okay, so that's why the group wants them. But why yeah. do they want to be part of the group, I guess, is what was missing for oh, me. Oh, sure, sure. Yeah, that – you know what? I'll, is, I will say that. kind of why I wish it wasn't rich against rich. Because at least, it, <laughs> mm-hmm. it, I mean, More this power. is why, like, if the if the good guys maybe, like, didn't have the same exact resources, right? Or maybe the rich were getting rich because of their link to Satan. But we don't get that impression either. No, you right? don't. They just seem to have a bunch of really cool cars. Everybody's rich. Um, they had a lot of cars. Remember when <laughs> yeah, he's cool like, just, just yeah, take any car you'd parking like. Lot, honestly. Um, <laughs> I just wanted to go walk around that parking lot for a while. Yeah, I, I didn't right? see so many vintage cars in a movie in my life in that one area. Uh, <laughs> but I mean, you know, they can like, they, they basically smash up a car and then they just like, you know, they walk away. I mean, it, it doesn't, it's no big deal. They'll just buy another one. Um, I mean, you know, Rex, he shows up in his own plane. He just flies in. Yeah, he does. Uh, you know, it's, and it's just like, yeah, he's going to get inside the limo and they, they go off and they got a little car phone in the back. Uh, I don't know. It, it's like the, I, I didn't see a clear delineation between these people other than, and then they're both using spells, right? So it's like we have that, we have this kind of holy versus satanic, but there's no obvious difference as I'm watching these yeah. guys. I didn't mm-hmm. really care that much. I, that, that's yeah. that's just kind of where I was. I was just kind of like, oh, okay, I, you know. So if if Mikado wins, wh- what's going to happen? I don't. These people join a, you know, they join the orgy. I, I don't know what else is going to happen here. Um, yeah, they they wear robes. I, I don't get. <laughs> I, th- I think like, that. I, just, I, I didn't kind care of, that much. I don't know. I think that and kind of what you were saying, Tammy, of like just feeling like feeling like we're dropped into the middle of a story. You know, it's like we didn't know get to know like. Okay, so they're going to see their old friend and they want to save him from this thing. But it's like, what happened before that? Like, there wasn't enough of that for me. So I, I definitely agree with that. And that's what, but I think that intrigued me to want to know more about it because, you know, I didn't have the benefit of knowing like beginning, middle, and end. I just felt like I was plopping in right at the middle. So that, you know, that kind of worked both ways for me. Like, oh man, like I want to know what else, but all right, let's check out what's going on. But it would have been nice to know like, wh- like, why are they trying to save this guy and like how this, you know, he apparently met this girl at a casino or something, but we didn't see these things. So there was, it just felt like it was missing a beginning for me. And yeah, did a lot the evil actually happens people... off screen. Oh. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead, Tammy. Oh, no, I was just going to say, did we, I'm trying to think, did we ever see the quote unquote evil people ever do anything evil? I mean, I know they, they uh, I'm guessing they unleashed the giant spider and the headless horseman, but, you know, and they were trying to get these two souls but you're right. Like, say they did join, what's the big danger there? Like, we just assume, you know, I guess because they're devil worshippers, 
that's the bad that's going to come of it. They're going to become devil worshippers. Yeah, like the worst that we were seeing was when they were going to sacrifice the girl. But I didn't mm-hmm. get the impression that they were planning on doing that from the very beginning. This seemed to be like because they were because of everything that was going on, right? I mean, I'm not right. saying that they're good people, but it's like, um, yeah, I mean, it, it, uh, it's difficult for me to. From that, that's why I wasn't too invested in these characters that much, right? I mean, Christopher Lee, he's commanding, right? Um, he's really good in the role. Uh, I'm totally with him as he's going through. Although, it, as good of an actor as he is, he's not a good fake driver. Um, the way he was moving that wheel back and forth was driving me nuts. I was just picturing that car jerking all over the road. Uh, but anyway, that, that was that, that's a little pet peeve that I had when I was trying to watch him drive. Um, but yeah, it, it's... Uh, I'm sorry, I started losing I my train of thought Brand- now. <laughs> no, I, I think Brandon, Brandon hit it. Like, it did make me, like, maybe if they'd had one or two fewer car chases and maybe started the story at the casino the or whatever chases, these though. two met. I, I'm definitely, I would have been open to <laughs> finding out more about these characters. I just never got to. Yeah, yeah I mean, it, it makes me think of, what did you guys think of the ending? It was honestly kind of a... a a kind of a letdown for me. What happened? What uh, happened? <laughs> <laughs> they they well, left. I mean, it's, it it seems a little bit. I mean, it, they do set things up to precede this scene, um, so it's not entirely a Deus Ex Machina, but it kind of feels like it does. It is. Um, I mean, we literally almost have like a god machine come in and just fix things. Uh, but oh, yeah, it, that's right. Yep. You know, it's not, yeah, all of a sudden, like, the mother starts, like, you know, she's possessed by Tanith. She says a spell, and there's fire, and then all of a sudden, they're in, like, a church, and then everything is just restored. Like, That's there's right. no, they, like, and then and then Christopher it. Lee, like, he's talking, he, he talks about how, oh, well, you know, Makata was taken by the angel of death. I'm like, that would be cool to see, you know, like, yeah. it's mm-hmm. just, our, our main baddie is just killed off screen, and we're told yeah. about it. He doesn't um, leave empty handed. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And everybody's just back to normal. And it's like, there's no real sacrifice in fighting the devil. I was just kind of like, oh, man. All right. Um, I don't know. I, I found it a very underwhelming conclusion to where we were leading to. Yeah. That's a reasonable. Yeah. That reasonable criticism. Yeah. Brian, what were your ideas about that? Because you're the one that kind of brought up, especially at the very end. No, I, it, so when they, you know, the second time that they kind of wake up from inside the circle and I was like, wait, did the, is the video I'm watching, did it like skip backwards? Cause yeah. I was confused. Cause I like, I felt very underwhelmed as well. Uh, and it was kind of like, oh, everything's back to normal. Thanks be to God. I was like, yeah. okay. Like, but I, I felt like there wasn't enough of a climactic kind of battle between good and evil, like you talked about. So I felt the I same way. Uh, yeah, I feel that makes it feel like it's even more like part of a series because you have to like reaffirm the status quo so that the next episode they can just kind of continue on, you know. So it feels like we're dropped <laughs> into a series episode. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. How that happened? I don't know. Does that make sense? It absolutely makes sense, and yeah. that's that's how I viewed this whole thing and why none of this is, is surprising or a, a bad thing to me. You know, like I was thinking Karnacki the whole time. You know, William Hope, Hope Hodgson's, you know, his his main dude going out there and and doing his thing, coming back because he's he's in all those stories he's relating his his supernatural tales to his homies back at the clubhouse, right? And you know, and then at the end they ask questions, and then he tells him, "All right, off with you," and you know everything. 
you know, be, you know, ends more or less where it begins. And I sort of had a feeling this movie might do that, even though I knew nothing about it. And when it, you know, when it happened, I was like, ah, darn, you know, I was hoping for a little more stakes. But in, again, the stakes, you know, it's not the world. It's just the just only the immortal soul. And so that's hard to depict. And so, yeah, why not have the God and the machine start things over for a round two, which we never get. So I can see that being a letdown, but, um, did, did you, did, Tammy, did, did you think the ending was anticlimactic as well? Cause I think we're all kind of saying that. Well, yeah. And I was feeling anticlimactic the whole time. I mean, and what's strange is like, I still like this. Like I would watch it again, maybe watch it again and try to get a little bit more out of it. But at the end, I was like, what? Really? That, that's sure, sure. what you're going to give me? You know? <laughs> so but can I, I ask you? Oh, sorry. Yeah. Please, please go no, on. No, go ahead. Oh, I'd just like to ask all of you a question because th- th- my observation here was, like I mentioned earlier, was that our protagonist and our antagonist seem to be on equal footing. Since there was no apparent underdog, I do think that there is a sort of sacrifice uh (laughs) zing of tension (laughs) there when you know nobody's our our good guys aren't outmatched it's not like a slasher movie where there's a badass character who's about as tough as the slasher guy so it's like well if he comes i'll just beat him up (laughs) you know so i can see there being a you know maybe some some lesser tension there but do you think maybe that sort of back and forth on equal footing is what is kind of our climax, which is why what we would perceive to be the climax at the end maybe doesn't have the teeth it should? You know, I don't think I thought that when I was watching it, but it makes total sense to me now that you said it. Yeah. That's, mm-hmm. that's kind of what I'm getting to when, when hearing you guys, hearing all of you talk it out, because I think that's what it was for me that made made me, and I'm, I'm only just now articulating this. I didn't think this when I watched the movie, but it's like, oh, they've been on equal footing this whole time, and then one of them loses finally. It's like, oh, okay. Well, all right. Well, it's even the way that they lose, because when our, when our protagonists, when it looks like they're outnumbered, right, and they're not going to be able to save this girl, all of a sudden the mother just becomes possessed and says a spell. Yeah, and then it's just it just changes everything, and I'm like, oh man! At the very at the point at which we should have been like, okay, our protagonists are screwed. It everything is just kind of fixed, you know. Um, yeah. it, it's it our protagonists in that moment become overpowered uh, to kind of almost a ridiculous degree. I don't know that, that's just kind of how I thought towards the end of this. Um, yeah, I will say the other thing that I was maddening to me is when there. I actually like the circle sequence. Um, I think I it's a pretty it. good set piece. I kind of like seeing them like bored in the circle, you know, and <laughs> like yeah. waiting for things to happen. They're kind of laying down, you know, hanging out. Um, but the whole time I kept thinking, I'm like, why isn't the daughter in there? Like, Same here. Where the hell, where's the little girl? And then of course she gets taken. I'm like, well, duh. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, yeah, there's like, oh, no, she's upstairs sleeping. I'm like, then get her out of there. Yeah. I was thinking the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, that, that was really irritating to me, but. My toddler was a huge fan of that scene because uh, oh, really? he walked spider. into the living room and he went, ooh, spy-yay. And then the horse came out and he went, horse, horse. <laughs> so it, it's a winner Aww. for kids. What there did you think go. of that horse rewinding itself? <laughs> yeah. but it, you know what? It fit, though. It fit with the ridiculous effects we had throughout it. And I, so I think it kind of, again, that adds some charm to it. Although I did, I did kind of like Baphomet. Yeah. Oh. The goat of Mendes, goat or whatever, of Mendes, whatever he yeah. called him. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I thought it actually looked pretty decent for 1968. I'm like, uh, he looks pretty cool. Um, yeah. it would have been a, a nice week 
Yeah, I would have been nice if we could have engaged with him a little instead of him just like sitting up there. Yeah, he was know? just chilling. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or even with, if the cultists didn't become like super useless when they drive in, like they're just running back and forth. They're not even trying to stop him from like taking the guy. <laughs> I, I, I didn't know what they were doing, uh, but I'm still really confused about the guy that they summon that's just wearing the loincloth with the weird eyes, and then they just throw the cross <laughs> at him and it goes away. Like, yeah. who's that guy? I mean, I'm, I wanted to know Again, who is that guy. And I was just coming off of like my 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 thoughts on a little bit of a racism in the last film, right? And then all of a sudden, it's just like it's just a black dude in a diaper, basically. I'm like, this is weird. Um, this is an emissary of hell. I'm like, I don't know. This is, um, I don't know. Hey, he was <laughs> the guy had weird eyes, but otherwise, job, it wasn't. Man. It was just kind of awkward. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's you know. It, it's there's some goofy aspects of this film. Um, oh, yeah. There are some decent ones. That, that was actually a really good car chase. I, I like that. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Uh, should we start wrapping this up? You think we're we're yeah. about ready for our uh, ratings here? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. Okay. Um, so uh, who started us off last time with the ratings? Did we go Tammy and everything like that? Right. Yep. I think so. so yeah. We'll, we'll stick with the reverse order then for this one. So uh, Brandon, why don't you get us started? This one, I'm at a 8 out of 10. Uh, again, just uh, totally engaged with Christopher Lee. I thought it was a really fun movie. The cheese kind of added to it. But, uh, <laughs> you know, it'd probably be higher for me if I knew more of the story. And again, I want to know more about about this character and, you know, what happened before and what happened after. So I'll probably dig in some more to this. So 8, eight out of 10. Nice. Watson. Yeah, I'm at uh, I'm in in that eight to eight point five range myself. You know, I, the the film moves quickly enough for me. It presents a world that is you know comic booky and pulpy and frighteningly open to evil, but also thankfully open to the power of good as well. I think you these performances were great. I really liked Christopher Lee, and you know he's being badass with his goatee, looking like Anton Lavey and handsome, you know Leon Green. I liked seeing them battle some evil, I guess, devil worshippers with the power of the Lord and of sound mind. I think there's a treat here to be had if you go in sort of with this mentality that. Hey, you know, treat this as one of a series, and you know, don't don't you know the. Listen to us when we talked about the climax because it's it's even keel. It's like having chronic depression. It never gets too high. It never gets too low. It just stays like a hum. And it, but it's a fun hum, not the depression. This movie, uh, eight, eight to eight point five. I'm in that range right there. All right, Tammy. Um, I think I'm going to give it like a seven. And half of those points are just for Christopher Lee's hotness. <laughs> he is um, hot. What, yeah, <laughs> they, I'll say it. Um, <laughs> um, you know what? And like I said, what kind of knocked it down? It's just feeling like I didn't get the whole story. It seemed a little phone in, phoned into me in a lot of aspects, and just the hysteric hysterics of the women kind of rubbed me the wrong way. They definitely weren't as evolved as they were in the other movie that we watched. So I think I'm going to go seven. I mean, it's okay. You know, that's yeah, about I, it. I'm I'm also at a seven. Um, again, a lot of it has to do with the, I didn't feel a lack of urgency. I wasn't crazy about the ending. Uh, I, Christopher Lee is great. Um, there are some good set pieces. Uh, Watson, you kind of mentioned it kind of rolls at a hum. Like it kind of, it kind of hits the ground running and it stays at that pace. Um, so it's definitely a very watchable movie. I just don't know how many times I'm going to repeat watch it. Um, Mm -hmm. so that kind of keeps the rating from going any higher than that. Um, I'm glad I saw it though. Uh, so yeah, a seven. Um, it's, it's definitely worth checking out. Um, uh, so with that, 
All right, we uh, wrapped up two more Hammer films. Hope everybody's enjoying this so far. I know I am. So, we're the horror cast. All killer, no filler. See you next time. Stay scared. <laughs>